0: hello this is patrick widdis and welcome to poetry Nonstop. i'm joined by another cardiff-based poet katherine stansfield originally though she's from cornwall two parts of the uk with a distinct culture history and language this is something katherine explores in her second collection we could be anywhere by now here she is to tell us more about it
1: uh, so this book has just come out from Seren Books and I've been working on it uh on and off since about 2013 I think so some of these poems have been with me for quite a while and the book's been gathering pace slowly a slow pace gathering that's how I would describe this book and uh as the the title suggests uh We Could Be Anywhere by now it's a book that's interested in places uh and travel, but also the strangeness of places and being feelings of displacement as well. I'm quite interested in that as a writer and as a reader too. In some ways it's quite a personal book because it starts off by exploring some autobiographical material when concerning uh, my move to Wales. I grew up in Cornwall and I moved to Wales uh, when I went to university. A while ago now, and the early poems in the book chart my experiences of arriving in Wales for the first time and realizing what it meant to live in a bilingual country, uh, in a country where Welsh was protected in law but was also under threat, and what it meant to have to fight for your language. And as a monoglott English speaker, That was not something I'd ever experienced or was on my radar at all. So the early poems in the book chart that growing awareness of living around, within, amongst another language, but one that I couldn't speak. And then the poems chart that, but then open out more to explore a kind of what happened when I started to learn Welsh formally and then in doing so how I realised that where I come from Cornwall um that the Cornish language uh, had been sort of suppressed uh in my childhood and I wasn't really aware of it at all um until ironically I moved to Wales and I realised actually how much Cornish I knew and I only really came to know that through learning Welsh because um some listeners might know that the languages are quite similar um, in terms of their their construction and so I use poetry to explore the links between those languages and also my position within those languages as well as a as an English speaker and what it means to be an English speaker in Wales um, and also an English speaker in, in Cornwall so that's the sort of first part of the book and that ended up opening a space for me to think about some quite personal subjects, which is quite different to my first collection, Playing House, which is kind of held at a distance really. There's lots of kind of ironic cloaking devices in place. But the new book, We Could Be Anywhere by Now, is much more personal, um, which is quite a scary thing actually. <laughs> I find some now talking about it is is uh, is kind of scary, which I didn't really expect. But it's it's lovely to have the opportunity to do so. So that's the first part of the book. Uh, and then it moves into wider spaces. It leaves Wales and Cornwall behind and moves to Italy and to North America, which were places where I was travelling um, in the latter stages of writing this book. So um, it starts in Wales and it ends in Vancouver. And that's, that's the sort of distance.
0: That's quite is. a journey.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and I feel like I've travelled a lot in writing this book, actually so it's been it's quite wonderful to get to the point where now it's out and it's left me behind in some ways uh, and it's making its own journey which is yeah which is quite wonderful
0: when when did you start thinking of these experiences in terms of writing a book
1: i wasn't thinking of them in terms of a book for a long time really as in like a a, gr- a group of poems together as a book project i think that i started working on some poems about moving to wales about learning welsh about my engagement with language uh in in around 2013 pretty much when i'd sent off the manuscript for my first collection because um you know poetry is a a slow old business so um i was just just writing poems I was interested in writing and experimenting with forms in different ways and and experimenting more with being honest personally in poems and and bringing more of myself into those poems um and I I got together sort of eight to ten of those poems and I um applied for a bursary um from Literature Wales uh which is our um sort of um, writer development agency in Wales, funded by the Arts Council of Wales. So I got a, a bursary to um, support the writing of what would become the rest of the book. And that, that bursary supported my work between, oh gosh, 2014 and 2015. And I wrote a kind of core of the book then, and that, or a core of poems that became a book in development. It was after that I thought, oh, perhaps, perhaps I know where this project is going now. Uh, which I didn't to begin with. And that's quite ironic, I suppose, for a book that's called We Could Be Anywhere By Now. I didn't really know where I was going with it until until quite recently, actually. I'm always really, you know, in awe of poets who conceive of, of books of poetry from the outset, who have these amazingly linked, themed collections about sort of one thing, almost like with the focus of a novel, I find that really quite astonishing. I don't think I'd love to be that kind of poet. <laughs> I'm not there yet.
0: You write prose and novels as well. So, um, what led you to writing about this uh, in, as poetry?
1: That's a really good question. And I, I think if you if you were to compare my fiction with my poetry, you wouldn't necessarily know they were about they were written by the same person. They're quite quite different, really. I think that the material in this book is it is more personal and it's also I think with a poetry book you've got freedom within a single collection to move around in form in different ways and throw your voice in different ways which of course you could do in a collection of short stories but I don't I can't write short stories at all I keep trying but I haven't got there yet but with a novel um especially I write um, historical novels crime novels they have these sort of structural conventions which give this kind of cohesiveness and that's you know why some some projects work best for novels but for this poetry book I suppose in many ways it's a kind of collage of thoughts and experiences and there's a lot of room within a single collection even if you say it's all about one subject there's still a lot of room to work in lots of different ways whereas with a novel there's a kind of uniformity within the plot that doesn't really allow for that so I think I wanted to be able to stretch myself in different ways in a, in a way that really works for, um, for a poetry collection I think.
0: Yeah, um, what were some of the more unexpected uh, places that uh, you were led to uh, writing about?
1: Uh, Well, I was led led back to writing a lot about my childhood, which was on Bodmin Moor. I don't know if you've, you've ever been there. It's quite a bleak place. It's very rural. And I think that, you know, things that that we experience them with children our lives then you know that's that's our lives things seem very normal and i think it's only as an adult that i've realized that growing up in such a decidedly rural area um was was quite Proof quite unusual, really, in many ways. So I think led back to some specific landscapes of my childhood on kind of the exposed uplands of Bodmin Moor, you know, wild tracts of open land, lots of wild animals roaming around, abandoned mine shafts, all sorts of uh, old quarries that had been worked out and then flooded. So I was surprised to find myself retreading those kind of landscapes and also thinking about how they struck me now as being quite dangerous That when I was a child, I would just sort of amble over them, set off by myself, sometimes on foot, sometimes on a pony, sometimes on a bike. Never mentioned to anyone which way I was going. And I just just set off quite intrepid, really. And I'm not really that person anymore. So I was interested to find myself traversing the physical landscapes, if you like, of my own past in these poems. But also the landscapes of being a different person, of being less anxious, a bit braver. I think so that was that was kind of interesting and strange um, but also it, it the flip side of that because there's a very open landscapes up on on Bodmin Moor but the other side of that was I, I write a lot about trains and train journeys and about the kind of the sort of strange confessional space of a train carriage or a pair of seats um, and there are quite a few poems in this new collection which are about trains and about the things that people will say on trains i find that people are wildly indiscreet on trains and i think that's wonderful if you're a poet or a writer of any kind Um, the things you can overhear are quite wonderful so i've got quite a few poems about that kind of static space it feels like when one's in a train carriage for instance you're physically still but of course you're moving at great speed across the country and i'm quite interested in that tension of both the static and the movement
0: yeah, and of course, uh, trains are connecting these different places.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in some ways, I guess, like a poem is this is, I don't know whether or not this is stretching an analogy, but poems are a bit like train journeys in that you sort of get into one. You, you know if you're reading a poem by someone else you sort of step into it and you're there for the ride and then you'll, you'll get out of it or you'll be sort of pushed out of it at the end um, and then you get into another one um, you know in a, in a collection so I'm, I'm really interested in the relationship between trains and poems I, I think that just helps also helps me excuse the fact that I keep writing about trains I can't seem to help myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so how did you first begin writing poetry?
1: I think that I got into it like many, many writers do. And when, when I was a teenager, on Bob moor quite lonely in some ways, reliant on myself and my own imaginative uh, abilities to entertain myself. And I think that writing, I wasn't really writing poems to start with. I was just writing anything at all. It was a way to kind of make use of that imaginative energy that I was developing and and had come to rely on and i did that a lot when i was a child and then uh when i was a teenager i started to actually write some of those things down and in part that was because i was experiencing the usual teenage angst feeling dreadfully misunderstood frustrated with the world at large you know nothing nothing groundbreaking you actually had a great you know great young adulthood but i started to actually shape those feelings into poetry and i i read lots and lots of poems and and I was uh, quite obsessed with Sylvia Plath uh, for a long time and uh, so I think it was through through reading lots of things under my own steam but also having you know some wonderful English teachers at school which I think you know when you talk to other writers it's so often an enthusiastic English teacher at just the right moment, um, who says, oh, you know, it's great you're writing, keep going, even if what you're writing is utter drivel. Um, having someone say, yeah, this this choice you're making to write, is really worthwhile you know um and that's what i was lucky enough to have uh so i started writing i guess seriously when i was about sort of 16 17 and then when i went to university um about 19 i uh, went and studied um, english and creative writing uh and this is at a time where creative writing courses at university there weren't that many around you, see, the, you know there were so many now but but back then there weren't many and um I you know was, was then writing very regularly for, for weekly seminars and I was getting feedback on my work from my peers and my tutors. and I realized that not only did I really, really love doing this, but that you know I, I clearly wasn't half bad at it. you know, I had a long way long way to go, but um, there was something there. you know in, in every every poem there would be one good line and um, and I had enough. Uh, sort of support to, to keep going and get better, I think. But I think that it was really being a teenager on Bodmin Moor without much else to do <laughs> in the late 90s. You know, with no transport, it couldn't get anywhere. That, that was really the crucible, I think, for me writing. So it's interesting in this new collection that I've, I've actually gone back and explored that time in my life through poetry. Um, it's been an interesting experience.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a beautiful and inspirational area of the country to grow up in. Um, it is,
1: yeah. I yeah. don't think I realised that at the time. Well, I certainly didn't appreciate it at the time. I felt very hard done by uh, being in the middle of nowhere. But I think that um, from from the metropolis of Cardiff, looking back, I can say that, that I am the writer I am because of growing up there, I think.
0: And uh, you said you were... Uh, Learned Welsh was that uh, something you originally planned to do when you moved to Wales uh,
1: not at all I mean I would admit my complete ignorance that people were really speaking Welsh at all or that it that it existed you know when I kind of set off to live there I was incredibly naive and you know that was a, a massive culture uh change um f- for me to be around a place where people were speaking you know two languages it was amazing and I didn't I lived in Aberystwyth uh, on uh, on the coast in Mid Wales about sort of 14 years before I moved to Cardiff and I didn't start learning Welsh sort of really for the first 10 or 11 years that I was there it was only in kind of the latter step time that I was there and uh, I should say my Welsh is very basic I, <laughs> I didn't get very very. I haven't gotten very far with formal Welsh but I think what I was interested in exploring more as by the time I started those formal Welsh lessons, you know, in a classroom, weekly classroom with homework, I realised just how much I had picked up through osmosis, just through hearing people speak, through reading, you know, bilingual road signs, through being in meetings where um, the business of the meeting was conducted biling- bilingually. And so I think if you're a writer, in particular, poets, you're, you know, we're often so much like magpies. We're listening all the time and we're interested in sound, even if we don't actually understand what's being said. So I became really fascinated by that process of learning a language through osmosis without necessarily putting much formal effort in. But which sounds, which words kind of filter through the monoglot understanding and also how voice changes Uh, I'm someone whose accent changes a lot depending on who I'm talking to and uh, I think a lot of poets are like that we're kind of we're not bad mimics and we tend to shift our sounds and we like to play with sounds so this this new collection explores quite a lot of those things about how accent changes and how our relationships with certain words for instance more change due to where we are and what we're hearing for instance I got a poem in in the new collection which is about how uh, I started to think about um, Lois Lane so Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane I stopped thinking about her name as Lois as in L-O-I-S and instead um, because in in Wales you would pronounce that word Lois that would be you know a girl's name Lois we spelt the same as Lois Lane but you'd say Lois and I started to realize whenever I Saw Lois Lane written down that I was seeing it as Lois, Lois Lane. And that was just just through a sheer process of being immersed in a language. And so my relationship with um, certain letters changed. After living in Wales, my voice. I know something has changed when I hear myself say Lois Lane instead of Lois. I try again. Clark Kent works with Lois Lane at the Daily Planet. Lois Lane doesn't know that Clark is Superman. You say, that isn't right, but I can't make my mouth go back to Lois. It will only say Lois. Now, it's like there's kryptonite between my eyes, my ears, my lips, not the kind that makes Superman roll about, gnash his teeth. This kryptonite is friendly. So that's uh that poem about sound changing and one's own sound changing and one's own voice changing without you realizing it. And I find that really fascinating. And I think poetry is a, a great vehicle um, for that. Um, kind of excellent exploration of that idea um, I'm also very interested in words and wordplay and uh, our own languages that we create mm. so what I might do next if it's okay is read a poem um, that explores this it's called clon juice and this is a word that my younger sister made up when we were kids and I should just give you the spelling so you've got it it's spelt she tells me N." j-u-z-e clon juice and this poem uh, has an epigraph from uh, the poet brendan keneally um, a short uh, quote from one of his poems and his quote is if the word is lost is the feeling extinct are there graveyards for words who goes to their funeral and this is my poem clon juice that responds to that idea say it with me That Germanic-y, Spanish-y word you made up to toast tea parties with cats and eyeless dolls, to celebrate our wins at fixed Olympics. No one heard it but me back then, back when you were my sleep, I, your waking. Sharing a room we shared a language. Now we live separately, silent in our own countries. I can't hear your dream talk. If I phone, you assume bad news, won't pick up. Your tight-lipped life is yours alone. I bring us back together for the end and see us drop our word into the scurf of twigs and desiccated frogs beneath the cattle grid and leave without a wake, having buried our way to raise a glass to say farewell but all of this is in my head, the cattle grid now on private land. And besides, words don't give in, lie down and die. When I'm faking grown up in some swanky bar and some joy or other requires a toast, conduce is on my lips again. I shout it, scream it, hurl it at the door. Your word, my spell to bring you here to make you mine once more. So there we are, that's that's juice for my sister, who made up that wonderful word.
0: Yeah, it's um, a very touching poem, and it's uh, great that it's uh, such a a well-defined word to the extent of having a specific spelling, that it's so uh, uh, personal to you both.
1: Yeah, it is, Um, and it's also one of those things that's strange to then share with other people, something that you've come up with together and you've shared and has a great personal meaning and then to say to other people here's here's this thing we have but I'm so fascinated in those kind of family words that I feel like if I share mine other people might share theirs and which I would I'm very nosy about and I would I would love to know more about.
0: Um, Yeah well this uh, leads us on to your uh, writing exercise.
1: Yes. So my idea here, uh, which I thought might be fun, and again, this is uh, me being very nosy because I'm really interested to see what other people might do um, taking this idea, which is to think about whether or not there's a word in your family, perhaps, or group of friends, or might be work colleagues, uh, might be religious community, a word that um, perhaps you've made up or that an existing word that's taken on a very different kind of meaning, some kind of language that you're sharing between yourselves um that, that has importance because of that. Or you could have a go at making up a word completely. You could take a word from another language randomly that you don't know, but perhaps you just like the look of. Um, and then think about Put that as whatever the word is, make that your title and then to use the poem as a space to explore what that word means and to do so in a way that um, has kind of an authoritative tone to it. Almost like you were giving a dictionary definition for a word that either doesn't exist at all or is a word in another language. So you're making up the definition. What does it sound like? What does it say to you? Or you're sharing with people that kind of intimacy of that shared family word or shared religious words. Um, thinking about the the tension between the the made-upness or the strangers of the word the unknown of the word and then the kind of authority of the poem that can be quite quite a fun tension to play with so that's my prompt.
0: Yes a great way to explore language Um, so um, how would you go about it with uh, your poem about your sister's words how did that kind of develop?
1: I think with that one because we had we had used it such a lot when we were children. And also what had happened uh, when we were adults, because it's a, a word to toast, you know, if you're saying cheers, uh, my sister would randomly do it, you know, and she'd had a drink or two, she'd suddenly, you know, say that word. Uh, and it kind of came from nowhere and it was quite amazing to then be taken back to that kind of intensity of imaginary friends and made up games and stuff. So I, I started to think about, um, the oddness of when it was mentioned out of context and what that felt like, and I also spent a lot of time saying the word and thinking about what this, what it sounded like to me, and that's where I kind of came up with that idea of it being both German and Spanish, uh, which of course are two very different language systems, and just thinking about what this, how would I describe the sound? Uh, and but what I've done in the poem is I've made up a, a compound of Germanic. Spanishy which isn't <laughs> obviously isn't actually a phrase but because she made up the word in the first place it kind of freed up my approach to language so I think it's it can be very freeing so I would just think about the sound and think about what what sounds come to you through that initial sound I don't be too constrained with formal language because um, that can be quite fun
0: yeah, I look forward to uh, exploring that and uh, seeing what comes out. And I'm sure anyone listening will have some uh, interesting experiences with that as well.
1: Yeah, fantastic. I look forward to seeing them. I, I think it, it'd be really interesting.
0: Yeah. So uh, Before we finish, um, you've got anything else to add? Anything you're working on at the moment?
1: I've started thinking about a third book of poems, but only very, very tentatively. I've... Uh, I've got sort of one or two poems that might be the start of something new um, but then of course uh, our present situation happens and I've been writing poems about pan, you know pandemic experiences lockdown experiences uh, which aren't very good at all I don't think but I'm enjoying writing them having a space to write about the oddness of now is is a good thing I think even if the poems themselves might not have a long life after this and that's quite freeing because I've spent so long thinking about poems for the book that must go in the book and will be preserved Mm. within that so to actually think about poems that are kind of ephemeral uh, is quite freeing so I'm enjoying that at the moment.
0: Yeah I think it's really important to be uh, writing about these experiences now while we're living them.
1: Yeah I think it'll be impossible you know we'll forget quickly I think the, the strangeness of days uh, and it will be hard to reimagine it. So yeah, I, th- I think the idea of it, I'm i am not always that convinced personally about the idea of poetry as witness, that's not the kind of writer I am, but I th- I'm feeling the motivation to do that now, which is kind of interesting. Uh,
0: have you got another poem we could finish with? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I think what I'll do is I'll uh, read a poem, from the new book, so this is from uh, We Could Be Anywhere By Now, and it's a poem about a real life figure, a woman called Dolly Pentreath, who was reputed to be the last native speaker of the Cornish language Um, And there's a lot of uh, mythology attached to her. Um, She's become a a sort of a kind of a heroic figure, you know, in the story of Cornish. But of course, the idea of a a language dying out with a single person is is pretty problematic. So this poem explores kind of some of the mythologising. It's called Talk of Her, and it's about Dolly Pentries. They say she spoke no English as a maid hawking fish in Mousel. They say she was found by the language man as if she was lost. That the day he came, she was raging. He thought her curses Welsh at first, then caught something else. A witch, they say, and Cornish her tongue for witching. They say she was wed and unwed. They say there was a child, a girl, though some say boy, say he died. By the end, she'd prattle anything for pence. They say she was the last to speak it, but listen, there's others here still talking, and when I dug her up last week, 47 feet southeast from the spot they had marked, her with three teeth in that cracked and famous jaw, I tell you, she spoke just earth and water.
0: That was Catherine Stansfield's. Her collection, We Could Be Anywhere By Now, is published by Seren. Catherine was kind enough to send me a copy, which I'm very much enjoying. She has other poetry books and novels available, which you can find details of, as always, on the website poetrynonstop.com. I'll finish with my response to Catherine's prompt. And this took me back to when I was living in Japan. When you're living abroad and trying to deal with two languages, they can get mixed up, and new language sometimes emerges. That's where this comes from. It's called Orange Lions. Orange lions? asked my dreamy Japanese lover, pointing at the yellow flowers scattered across the lawn. I could see them purring at her feet. Shaking their nectarine manes, nestling between us as we curled up on my futon. Dandelions, I corrected, from the French Don de Lion, Lion's tooth. Soon I would feel the bite. So I hope you are inspired to write something. I'm currently trying to put together an episode of Listener's Poems and I'd particularly like to feature poems inspired by this or any of the other prompts on the podcast from the last year. You can find out more about that and how to submit at poetrynonstop.com. Until next time, thank you for listening and keep writing.